who slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get those Z's. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that in a warm, comfortable, pre-planned place than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. Now, you'll still miss out on some pretty cool things, like intergenerational community and the sport encouragement that that can bring. Inspiring music, children doing funny things during children's time, and of course, we can't give you any cake or coffee, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working or coaching your kids' soccer or baseball team or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Every episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on Sunday, and right now we're in the middle of a sermon series based on Richard Rohr's Breathing Underwater, Spirituality, and the Twelve Steps. So we're actually preaching the same sermons, or at least based on the same chapters, different sermons every week. So this episode will be a conversational version comparing our sermons from the last Sunday and whatever Sunday it is, whatever day it is when you're listening to this. We just ask that you would uh, keep an open mind and an open heart. And we're serious about that open mind. We don't care if you agree with everything we say or not. In fact, we encourage you to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. Through all of that, our most sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. Welcome back. We've been away for about a week at annual conference, which is a thrilling and enticing business meeting that lasts about four days, mm-hmm. but we're back and the dog is sighing nearby and the cat is carefully watching from a perch just across the room. And so if you hear background noise, that's who it is. But thanks for joining us again. Uh, we are on step four of this 12 step program. Uh, and so I started off my sermon by telling a story about a fictional character who's one of my favorite people. <laughs> In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, he first shows up in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. He's a cousin of the Pevensey children, and he's been raised by very modern, very progressive, vegetarian, teetotaler. Now they'd be <laughs> CrossFitter, like right, right. Kind they'd of be vegan people. Um, and he, so he is convinced he's always right, and it, it has made him a little selfish, and a little bit arrogant, and a little whiny, and very self-centered. And so he's introduced with this sentence. There was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it, (laughs) which I love. Eustace Clarence Scrub wanders off with the Pevensey children through a portrait one day of a ship, Mm -hmm. finds himself on a grand adventure. And in the midst of this grand adventure, he lands on a desert island while they're repairing the ship from a a storm that has passed through and cracked the mast looking for a tree that they can convert into a mast, Eustace Clarence Scrub is being unhelpful. Of course. And so he gets into a snip with somebody and he wanders off to do his own thing. He wanders into a cave where he finds a dragon's treasure. (laughs) And he puts a dragon's, or he puts part of the treasure, which was the armband of a prince of yore, on his arm. And then he falls asleep on this treasure. When he wakes up, he has become a dragon. 
Because if you steal treasure from a dragon, you become a dragon. And so he goes back to the ship. He goes back to where all of his people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he's approaching, of course, everybody reacts to him as if he right. is a dragon. Because they don't know. Because he doesn't know. realize that he is a dragon. That he's Eustace. And so everybody is preparing to kill this dragon. And his cousin, who he has been very rude to the whole time, approaches him and with compassion says, Is that you, Eustace? She mm. sees him for who he is. And he nods his dragony head. And then he has to try and figure out what to do because he realizes that he is only alive because people Mm. had grace for him. Yep. Uh, He has to try and find a way now to relate to these people without the privilege of being human. And so he ends up doing what he can. He brings food to the ship and he, you know, he he helps to do heavy lifting because he's (laughs) very strong. He's a dragon. He finds the tallest tree on the island and he brings it for the the repair of the ship. And then the day of truth comes when the ship should set sail again. But there's a dilemma. You can't take a dragon on a ship. Nope. He won't fit. Mm -mm. So what do they do with Eustace? And he's dreaming that night and he has this horrible, horrible dream in which he wanders off into the middle of the forest and runs into a giant shaggy golden lion, which we know in Narnia is Aslan. Aslan is the allegorical Christ uh, son of the emperor across the sea, the one who is in control of all things. And Aslan sees Eustace in his dragon form, and there's a hot bath next to him. And Eustace wants a bath more than anything. Mm-hmm. And Aslan says, well, get undressed and get in the bath. So Eustace looks down, and he's a dragon. So he digs his claws into his dragony hide, and he begins to pull it away, and he pulls off a layer of skin. Like he's molting or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Aslan that's says, how they showed in the movies. And Aslan says, no, you're, you have to get undressed. You have to get, get undressed to get in the bath. And so Eustace tries again, and he tries again, and he just can't get all of the dragon off of him. Mm. And Aslan says, you have to let me help you. Mm. And so Aslan takes his giant shaggy golden lion paw, and he digs it into Eustace, and he removes this hide and a boy is able to emerge again. Mm. In other words, Aslan can figure out who you are on the inside and help you be that person. Uh, But it took Eustace going through this kind of conversion process. Oh yeah, because his his whole personality changes and how he relates to his cousins and and the people there. And it starts with him really trying to see himself clearly. See himself kind of warts and all. Because he's been this, this selfish boy, this self-centered boy that felt entitled to everything right. and grateful for nothing. And so he eventually is able to be restored. And when he is restored, that, that pinch that's been on his arm, that constant reminder of his failure, mm-hmm. which I know none of us have anything like that. No. That constant reminder of his failure finally releases him and he's able to let it go as well. Yeah. So I started off this this fourth step by talking about a character who'd had this moment of revelation, which had built over time through being willing to confront uncomfortable dragony things about ourselves. Susan, you started your sermon a little differently. I started a little differently because the, the metaphor that Richard Rohr brings to this chapter is talking about a lamp and needing to put light in the midst of the stuff, the dragony stuff. And that reminded me of when I was little I love to read in bed, especially. 
be read to, but also to read my own books in bed. And my mom had this, you know, feeling that she needed to turn off the light and take the book away from me. Otherwise, I would never go to sleep, right? Mm. But I was more stubborn than that. And I remember hiding a flashlight in a book under my pillow so that when she took the other one away, I would have something to do. Uh-huh. But of course, moms notice flashlights in bedrooms. Of course, right? of yes. Course, right. And so she would take the flashlight away. And I also made the comment about... It was back in the time, too, when we didn't have the LED flashlights. Right. So it was I mean, like we a almost full for- on... We almost forget, like, how bad those flashlights really were. Because, yeah. like, they would, like, start to dim and you'd have to whack them. And, yeah. Shake, you know, them. Shake the battery. <laughs> shake the battery. And anyway, I just I remembered that in the midst of it. And then I said, so my mom took the flashlight away, but I was still determined to read. So I figured out that I could curve my body just so, sort of half hanging out of my bed. So that the book page, the light from my nightlight would hit the book pages uh-huh. just enough to read. Yeah. But also knowing that, like, I didn't get the full experience, you know. You can't see all the pictures. pictures and, 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 yeah. Right. But that my mom finally figured out I was doing that, too. Right? Uh-huh. So she finally gave up and just let me read myself to sleep. Yeah. It was much easier, right, when it, with the full light and the thing, right? And I did go to sleep and um, continued to do that in adulthood. I actually set a timer like a like uh-huh. an on-off timer on my on my bedside table so that I can read and then my light won't be on in the middle of the night. How I was thinking about that is that I think a lot of us think we're we're looking closely at ourselves uh-huh. as as you say the dragony stuff or the stuff that needs to be transformed. But we're doing it with one of those wonky flashlights. Yeah. Where we're trying to do it by a nightlight because we don't want to disturb ourselves or others. And so we're not doing that in the most effective way, right? It's we, we haven't we haven't, we haven't actually got a good lamp. We haven't actually got a good lamp, and um, but when we get a good lamp, we see all what we are missing. Some important facts, sometimes about ourselves, sometimes about the communities we're a part of. Right. Environmental, factors, environmental social factors, factors, social factors, social factors, right? Um, and that a good lamp makes a good deal of difference, and that's why. Um, that's why step four is so important is because what we're trying to do is create that good lamp Mm -hmm. and and a process by which we use over and over again a good lamp right so so if we go back to week one Mm -hmm. step one was about recognizing that we're powerless powerless against our addiction whatever our addiction is we're all addicts in some way we all fall into the trap of thinking that we're special and we're we're, we're above it or that at least we're not suffering with what somebody else is suffering with. But, uh, but we're all struggling with something. We're all powerless in some way. And yep. starting from that place of powerless is powerlessness is the great equalizer because right. we don't have to be worthy enough. We don't have to be good enough. enough. Right. We're all starting from this place of failure. Our second step was that we believed that there was a greater power that would restore us to sanity. In other words, in order to break our own habits and all of that, we really need God or right. our understanding of God to help us think differently, to help us do differently, do better. Um, and so we have step one, powerlessness. Step two, believing. Step three, making a decision to surrender, to let go, to give ourselves over. So to not keep doing the same thing over and over again. Right, and to trust. Something different, yeah. To trust in God. And then step four, we did a searching, fearless moral inventory of ourselves and of our relationships. Right. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about the good lamp, this searching, fearless, fearless moral, moral inventory. inventory. And it's fearless because we do trust in God. We do right. trust that there is grace. 
And so we can be honest about right. what's going on. We do it for the sake of, not for the sake of humiliation. No, it's but, not to to imagine to to allow ourselves to think this is this is who we are and we cannot change. It's yeah. so that we can say, oh, okay, okay, here's this the starting, starting place. place. Here's the baseline. It's right. for the sake of truth. It's so that we can have a generous spirit. And it's something that I think a lot of us recoil from because if we've been if we've been raised in, you know, situations with relationships that have felt judgmental or um, overly critical mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. demanding or rigid or sanctimonious, right. then we don't want to turn into those people right. who are and, nitpicky. Right. Well, and it's also like, I think a lot of a lot of people I meet and work with have these internal voices that have been set by, by all these other things in their life. Sure. And you start doing this work without really thinking about that trust issue. Yeah. And, and all it does is give us a platform to beat ourselves up. Like, yeah. I, can, I didn't do it right. I can't do it right. I'll never do it right. right. And that's not what we're saying. Yeah, the end game here is that the truth will set you free. free. We just know that first it might make you a little miserable. Right. <laughs> and, and we're not trying to make you miserable long term. Right. We're just trying to be honest about, like, what are the things we actually need to work on? Medieval spiritual writers called it compunction. Which I love that word. Yeah. I, I like, had to use it. I was like, compunction. Compunction. It's about recognizing the sadness that we feel when we look at ourselves clearly and see yeah. that we're not always getting it right. It's about right. the intentional struggle. Right. And compunction um, is, 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 is not... Is not a way, another way of saying guilt. No, it's another. It's a way of saying a, a, a feeling that helps us move from where we are to where we could be. It's almost conviction, it's right? Convi- yeah, it's conviction. It has a, I feel it has convicted. A layer of conviction. Not like in a court of law where right. you feel convicted of a crime, but convicted of like a strong belief. I have a strong, strong belief, belief that there is something that there more. is something that I can do that's better than what I'm doing yeah. now. Yeah. Um, Saint Teresa of Lisieux called it um, being little. Yeah. She said, whoever is little, when, when Jesus says, let the little ones come to me, he's not talking about children. Right. He's saying, let the people who are humble, let the people who right. can, can own their flaws and own their mistakes. I was talking to a family today at the church about the church's history. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, we were part of some really good things in history that because of our time and in our environment ended up not being perfect. You know, so we were part of the, the suffragette movement. Right. Right. Which is great. We want votes for women. Yay. Um, we were part of prohibition because we wanted to end domestic abuse. But because of that, we were also kind of anti-Catholic. Right. Because there was wine in the Catholic Church. Right. And we were, we, we, there was all or nothing for us. And right. so prohibition was prohibition. Um, and being anti-Catholic in the 1860s also somewhat meant being anti-Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And so even though we, our hearts were going for something good, right. some, some liberation... We did it in a way that didn't understand that the phrase now is intersectionality, right? Right. Didn't understand the way that all these things cross over together and affect us. Right. And it wasn't as fully formed as it could have been. So I think our assumption is that most people, everybody, is doing the best they can. Yeah. So our goal is not to beat anybody up. But just to say, okay, where are you starting from? Yeah. And and how can, you know... And here's where I'm starting from, and 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 perhaps we can journey together. Exactly. I, I had to make a point that like this is the hard work and pain. You know, there's pain involved in this, and there's frustration and all that stuff. I really had to emphasize that this is step four, mm-hmm. right? There's a reason this is step Early. four, right? This isn't step one. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Wait. We don't start there. We start. We start as we were talking about. We start at these places that allow us to get to this with that spirit of movement yeah that um sometimes because i think sometimes there are there are systems of self-help 
that plunge you into this too early. initially. Yeah. And you can't go there. And you, well, and you, and you don't have the tools. You, you don't have, have the tools the to get out of it. Yeah. So the goal is not to be unblemished, right? The right. goal is to be compassionate towards ourselves and towards others. Right. Not the perfect avoidance of sin, as Richard Rohr says. Right. But to the, the which is an impossibility. Yeah. We're all going to make this, you know, we're all going to do things that are not, don't, you know, work out. Um, but the struggle. The struggle. The struggle is important. And if you think about it, the people that you know that can own their own stuff. Oh, man. Are so much easier to be around. Oh. And hopefully not just own their own stuff and deal with it, but own their own stuff and then are working on it, are growing. Right. So we right. talked about stories like the prodigal son and the, mm-hmm. and the Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite is, I like the Pharisee story. So there's a, a Pharisee who's praying in the marketplace and he's right. saying, oh God, thanks for making me awesome. And not like that guy. And not like that other guy, that tax collector, what a sinner he is. And the tax collector is praying right next to him and says, oh God, I need help. Right. <laughs> you know? And it's like, which which prayer would you prefer if you were God? Oh God, thanks for making me awesome. Or, oh God, here's who I am. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. where I struggle. And so it's, it's just a lot easier for us to be in community with each other when we can own our own stuff. Frank Turner is one of my favorite artists and he has this line in one of his songs that says, we are redeemed. Each is redeemed by the courage with which he confesses. Mm. Right? Yeah. Each is redeemed by the courage with which he is able to look at himself Yep. and say, all right, here's, here's where I need some work. I, I said, you know, there's a 12 step group that I'm a part of called Weight Watchers. <laughs> right. Right. And in Weight Watchers, there's, there's a lamp moment every week. Uh, you step on that scale and they record your weight. And you can lie to yourself all week long about how well you've been oh, doing. Oh, yeah. And then you step on that scale, and that's the moment of truth. Yeah. And so I think what, what we're getting at with this lamp thing is, do we have the courage to step on the scale? Right. Can we look at things in the full light and not ashamed of ourselves and hiding under the covers? Right. And I use the, the I, I reinforce the, the metaphor, I think, I think Richard Rohr was using it, um, about masks. Yes. Right. I, I don't think he used masks, but go for it. But... Anyway, I, it, it, you know, it occurred to me, I guess, while I was reading this, that one of the things, one of the ways that we're, you know, it's, it comes back to Eustace, right? Like, mm-hmm. what are we, what are we hiding behind? What is, what is in front of us mm-hmm. so that, you know, that we're trying to perfect so that at least everybody else thinks we're perfect, even if we're not, yeah. you know, how are we taking those masks off? How are we analyzing that? How are we putting that stuff in light so that what is the darkness in us, for lack of a better word, can be redeemed, sure. can be be cracked open and and made more yeah well and jesus talks about this with the log and the oh, eye yes, yes. metaphor the lo- and the lamp and the yeah. body he talks about because what w- this step is not about telling other people even no this is we're even still just about admitting it to, to ourselves. ourselves and i don't know about you but that is sometimes the hardest thing to do yeah to just admit it to myself so he says you know if you've got a log in your eye you're not seeing clearly mm-hmm. if you have a diseased eye if you if you're looking at the world through a sick lens Right. Then you're not going to see yourself clearly. The eye is the lamp of the body. Right. You got to have clear vision. Right. In order and we oftentimes spend more time looking at other people's splinters than our own eye, yeah. than our own log. And, you know, it always, I, I always think of God's spell whenever I hear that thing. It's in oh, God's I, spell. I think coming off of annual conference has been pretty clear for me. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. it's easy to sit there and you think people are 
being nonsensical or wasting time and you're in a you know room full yeah. of a thousand people and it's gonna it's gonna be easy to do oh yeah to just start going oh that person oh that, that person. person instead of saying you know I honor that they are they have a struggle yeah it's just not my struggle right and my struggle is something else and why don't I just work on mine instead of right. worrying about theirs right 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 exactly um, the other thing I liked about what he said was that God doesn't waste anything yeah God doesn't if you have messed up God doesn't waste that. God isn't just going to make that be some... Well, that was a huge waste of time. I guess we'll move on. No. God uses those moments when we fall, when we fail, to help us develop compassion, to help us develop clear sight. Um, Because, again, we're we're sort of just glimpsing these things out. We have blind spots. Right. We're glimpsing these things out of the corner of our eyes. I I often talk about the um, feeding the 5,000. Yeah. And this little verse at the end that we always just kind of skim over... When the, Jesus said after the meal was over, he sent the disciples out to collect the leftovers. Right. And there were 12 baskets full, you know? Right. And like, we don't forget the leftovers. Right. There's, There's going to always... be something left over from whatever the meal is you're working through right now. Right, right. That God can work with right. if you're and, open. Yeah, and it may not be something you see immediately. It may be something that, that comes around again. You know, that's the other thing is sometimes I think we, 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 take, we also like make an idol out of that. Mm. We, and the way we flip that is, you know, all things happen for a reason, right? Oof, yeah. Right. But it's but, but it's actually what we're talking about here is that God does not waste anything. Right. God doesn't make bad things happen to you. But if something bad's going to happen to you, God's going to work with it. it. Right. And God's going to find a way to help you through it and help you help others through situations. It, it, it's going to be transformative. It can be transformed for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, so that was sort of step four, searching fearless moral inventory, the courage to turn on the lamp, the courage to step on the scale, mm-hmm. the courage to, to give up that thing that's been pinching you in the arm and just acknowledge the dragony parts of yourself so that um, this higher power can help us to shed that extra skin, extra weight, extra whatever. The thing is that we're dragging around with us Amen. Um, can help us to notice it, which is the first step of transforming it. Amen. So thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to what we've been talking about, you can shoot us an email, sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Leave us a comment on our website where you can find the archives, all of the episodes we've ever posted, sundaymorningsleepin.com. There were a lot of scriptures for this podcast. We talked about the prodigal son and the Pharisee praying in the marketplace and the log and the lamp and all of those things. But also check out Psalm 50, 16 through 17. 51, actually. Psalm 51, 16 to 17. James 3, 14 and Matthew 26, 41. The music you're hearing right now is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. At the end of the service, we do a benediction of sending forth, but I think you've already heard the homework. Yeah. I hope you've already heard the homework. Because the homework is to do step four, to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Not to beat ourselves up, but to own our stuff. Mm-hmm. And to, to trust see, God's presence in the to, midst of it. Right. And to see where God leads. Amen.